Hey, this is Nick here. I wanted to send a quick message to the founders out there. If you're raising your first round of capital and you're not located in the Bay Area, New York City, or Boston, we'd love to connect with you. Newstack leads deals for founders that don't fit the standard Silicon Valley profile and are located in undercapitalized areas. If that describes you, or if you know a startup that fits that description, please send us an email. It's team at newstack.vc. Now here's a word from our partners. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Jim Douglas joins us today from Atlanta. Jim is a partner at Fulcrum Equity Partners. Fulcrum is a growth equity firm investing in high-growth SaaS, tech-enabled services, healthcare services, and healthcare IT. Prior to joining Fulcrum, Jim served as Chief Executive Officer at Vestia and also Visionary Systems. Jim, welcome to the show, and tell us a bit about your background and your path to Fulcrum. Yeah, so I started my career in public accounting um, and was there about seven years out of college and then left to go to be the number two finance guy at a public healthcare company here in Atlanta. Like that, it was growth and M&A, but had the opportunity to go to a company called Check Free, uh, which was a hot, um, uh, just gone public company when I got involved with it and the 90s and it uh, today is the dominant provider of online bill pay for banks. It's been sold to Fiserv um, at a great exit. Um, and from there, left to go to um, run a couple of actually three different software businesses one in credit decision analytics, one in uh, which was a voting platform for online uh, delivery of proxies and voting, and another one was in the loyalty space. Uh, two of those worked and one didn't, and uh, that was a, the online voting one didn't work. But I enjoyed working with those kind of three to five million dollar companies initially, and growing them and having and, and and racing for the exit. Two times we were able to do that. So when I get, sold the last one, I was looking for the next company to grab and grow with the part with really a founder because I'm never smart enough to start one on my own. So <laughs> I had to go help somebody else, and. Um, uh, Fulcrum was looking for another partner. And I mean, today what I do is exactly what I've been doing for the past 15 years or so, which is I help businesses grow that are typically three to 10 million in revenue. I just don't manage the people. Um, so it's the thought process is exactly the same. You're thinking about the same things and no, it's not easy. It's hard just like running a business, but I really enjoy it. And it, was Fulcrum an investor in any of your earlier businesses? You know, how did you link up with that team? They weren't, but I knew Tom. And, I mean, I knew Jeff and Frank. Um, I knew Frank the best. I'd known him. You know, he's been an investor in another fund in Atlanta for years. I'd met Jeff before, and Tom and I were at KPMG together, but we never met. Um, and um, so, but the attraction was there. You know, half of our fund, half of what we do is B two B SaaS or tech enabled services, and that's kind of where I spent my career uh, most of my time. And where is the entry point for you guys? You know, is there like a average ARR range that is typically when you like to engage? 
Yeah, that you know that three to ten million dollar recurring revenue. You know, we'll look at the bookings momentum of something, and if it's two million and yes, booking seven fifty a quarter, then the new AC annual contract value. I'm, that's pretty much a three million dollar company. You may I know the math, but it's going to be shortly, right? So yep. Yep. It's all about the bookings momentum. But we so we start looking at them really strongly in that kind of million and a half, two million range, and take it and make sure we get to know them so they're in good shape. We're we're in good shape when it's time. Got it. Got it. Have you guys made any investments since uh, you know the COVID crisis broke? No, we haven't. We had one at the finish line, and we just paused because we didn't. You know, we just uh, you know it's imagine early March and the markets are falling apart and literally we're supposed to close it in two weeks. And I was like, we have no idea. We, we were actually, the pricing wasn't so bad on this one, but we just had no idea what was going, going to happen. So we said, look, we love your business, but we just need to pause for a quarter here and see where things settle out. And, and then we'll come back to it. So we'll come back to it. Um, you know, he was going through what everybody else is going through too, right sizing his business for the new environment. So it's not, He's not going to need the capital he thought he was going to need near term. If, he, if we gave it to him, he wouldn't have done anything with it. Um, good, but, good place to be in. But we're 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 really looking forward to getting back in at the second half of the year. I will definitely be an investor in the second half of the year if there's if there's good things to good opportunities. Is there anything additional that you feel like you need to see in this environment? No, I mean, you think you go into it. Well, yes. So I think you go into it. Um, with a different perspective, right? Everything is going to have a different growth rate than it would have had for the next 12 to 18, 12 to 24 months, right? Um, it doesn't mean it's it, it's a bad business. You just have to adjust your um, your your thinking to the to what that business might be worth for that growth for that growth period. Um, so I think. You know, it's like all of our software businesses, they're all still growing. They're just not going to grow as fast as they were before COVID started, right? <laughs> right. right. Uh, it doesn't mean they're bad businesses. You just have to adjust the amount of capital they're consuming for the reasonable growth that they can achieve. And, yeah. and that makes you look at a business differently. So. You know, speaking of that, without naming specific names, as you look across the B2B SaaS portfolio, what are you seeing in terms of um, impact so far, you know, when it comes to existing contracts as well as funnel opportunities? Yeah, well, I'll just say on the most companies in their scenario planning, we'll talk about enterprise and B and, and uh, SMB diff- separately because they're two totally different animals. On the, on the enterprise side, you know, most people cut their bookings plans by the, for the year 25 to 50%. Um, you know, they had, they, most of them had had good first quarters because the last few weeks didn't screw it up. Um, but you know, the second quarter is going to be ugly. Yeah. Uh, and maybe the third quarter will be a little bit better for us. So, so they're still growing, but you know, it kind of cuts in that range retention on the enterprise side. It takes longer to see it. So right now we don't see that material, a change on the retention, but I, you know, I don't think we have enough months behind us to tell, right? Uh, sure. Thank you. Uh, on the SMB side, you see it immediately. <laughs> it's the beauty of an SMB business. You sell something every day and you lose some, you could lose something every day. Um, so in both, we have a couple SMB businesses, both those, they're still selling. One's doing quite well actually through it, but the other one's selling, um, doing okay, but selling less. And then both of them, 
you know, their, their gross retention, their uh, gross churn is probably up five to, you know, they were there in the 20, 25% gross. Now they're closer to 30. And, and, and will that, another thing you do is, and this has to shake out. So you got to take time to see is you give customers temporary pauses and recurring fees to kind of get them to hang on and come back. And you have an opinion on how much of that's going to come back. Um, so time will tell whether that, that churn rate is any worse, but it definitely has ticked up a little bit on the SMB side. You know, it, it seems like a number of our portcos have contracts that are tied up in procurement almost indefinitely. I mean, are, do you see or expect sort of an impact to sales cycles and things just extending out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if it wasn't out of procurement, you know, the, by the middle of March, it didn't get out, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. There are a few things that get that got out, but not much. And um, uh, it def- that's why I think the second quarter is really going to be tough for people. I, but I'll, what I'll say is we, you know, I had last week was past couple of weeks have been board week, board, a lot of board meetings. And there's also, it's not as bad in our, some of our enterprise companies as they thought it was going to be. Things are continuing to move, but um, they, we, we went through some pretty, we knew Q2 was going to be ugly. So far, it's not as ugly, but it's still ugly. Yep. Yep. Hey, have you guys done any cloud or, you know, infrastructure investment on the enterprise side? We've done DevOps. Okay. Um, we haven't done any hardware kind of stuff. Um, we do uh, managed security services. Uh, we've done a couple of different, we have a phishing business, um, phishing security business out of uh, Charleston called Fish Labs, a fantastic business, provides the service to all the banks and various other industries. Really, really nice business. We're partners with LLR now in that business. We backed it originally and then they came in and did a, uh, a recap around to help us buy a business. Um, that's an interesting space right now because phishing attacks are going nuts in this <laughs> yeah. environment. Uh, nothing like a good crisis for a new threat vector. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> and um, um, so that, and then another one of ours that we actually sold to Insight, um, majority of them, the DevOps side is a company called QA Symphony. Um, that we merged with Tricentis and that's now a, a big uh, $100 million plus recurring revenue DevOps company. So we would, we definitely look at DevOps. We're actually looking at a couple more right now. Um, and we definitely look at security infrastructure. Good, good. Yeah. We, we recently, I think last week had Byron Dieter from Bessemer on the program and he was, he was talking about how now is the seminal moment for cloud uh, B2B SaaS cloud companies. Um, mm-hmm. are, are there certain categories or areas like DevOps, for instance, that you guys are really leaning into because of everything that's happened? Um, so, so DevOps, we continue to like um, the uh, on the payment side, payment infrastructure. So where where payment meets workflow and business to facilitate payments, like just traditional merchant processing, it's kind of baked, right? It's a big scale game, right? But now embedding payment capabilities in corporate infrastructure or corporate software um, is, is there's, there's a, and it's great on the SMB side and it's great on the enterprise side. So various, various things, opportunities there. Um, security is still obviously always a good space. People can never get enough of it. And then compliance, 
you know, compliance systems. We've been in a number. We were in a third-party uh, risk compliance business. Um, we sold that to Insight as well. We're still investors in that one. It's called Prevalent. Um, and we, so we can look around that, that whole risk and compliance and getting uh, it, it kind of marrying dollars with it and data at the hands of the uh, CIO and CISO so they can understand the trade-off between uh, security execution, risk, and cost. Yeah. And I'll throw in a fourth, insurance. Yeah. Right? What yeah. can I just... In, and really aligning that because people just insure and they have no idea whether it really is insured or not. So there's a lot going on in that space. Um, I know there's a bunch of rambling ones, but that's, those are no, some that's good. You know, previous downturns have had a deeper and longer term effect on the growth stage, both volume and dollars than, uh, than they had on the early stages. Um, do you have any predictions for near term and midterm impacts on this growth stage of investing? You mean just how investors will look for impacts on rounds? Yeah, like, um, you know, is deal volume and deal dollars going to adjust significantly down? And, you know, how long of a duration is your expectation that it it will adjust down if it does? Yeah, so we're actually having a lot of banker conversations right now just to understand yeah, our ecosystem of bankers that like to sell our businesses and see the small deals that we like to start with. Um, and, and then there's, a, there's, a, so we've been in this world of three to $5 million revenue company grows to growing it towards 20, but bigger firm, JMI, Inside LR, Frontier, you name the firm comes in and recaps it, you know, sometime between the 10 and 20 million because it's growing 50, 75%, right there. That's what they're after. The the odds the the offer the the valuations were so high it was a no brainer for the entrepreneurs or even us to say sure we'll sell at that valuation take some off the table and roll with you and that's what we did twice with insight and deals and um, I think those recaps the valuations won't be probably as great um, so that may create fewer of those recaps and more growth rounds in the yep. near term. Yep. So people go, ah, I don't want to exit now. Um, I'm going to give it another year or two. So I'll just do, I want a smaller growth round. We're hearing a lot of that. I hope that's true. I don't mind holding on to the businesses longer. We're really in a market where the good ones, honestly, would go almost too fast. Um, if, I know that sounds like a stupid statement, but you understand what I'm saying. Sure. Um, and uh, so I don't mind holding on to the good ones longer. And you know, more growth rounds is good for growth about for us for our stage. Yeah, what do you what are you seeing with regards to multiples so far? I mean, it's probably a little early to really know, but I don't know. Do you have some guidance there? Expectation? Yeah, it's too early to tell. But you know, I'm asking that question in every dialogue, and um, I'm actually loving this Zoom thing because you, uh, you we we have, we're having just great dialogues, whether it's with you know lawyers or other all the constituents in our ecosystem that drive deal flow. So we've gotten a lot of information in the past, including ones like, you know, our, our investor groups, MAVA in DC area or their various areas. The common thing I keep hearing is the deals that are getting done you know, everybody wants a little feel good discount. And it feels, it sounds like the things I hear 20, 25%. Um, now there's not many data points. So this isn't 
Jim Douglas saying the market's reset. It's set 80, 75, 80 <laughs> yeah. lower. But that's the common one that, you know, there's something about it that pushed it over the edge. A little bit of discount, a little tight, a little more investor-friendly security, whether it's participating, preferred, or whatever it ha happened to be. Those are the ones that are getting done that you hear about. What, what are your thoughts or what are you hearing from um, your partners, service providers, bankers, et cetera, with regards to the exit environment? Um, you know, is this, I guess, both on the acquisition side and as well as the IPO market, um, do you have thoughts on what the next 12 months might look like? Yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, the IPO market, I'm not as equipped to comment about other than, you know, the markets are doing quite well, especially in technology, right? <laughs> right. I, I, um, the, the technology businesses have held up really, really well. Um, it's nothing like a recurring revenue business to prove its value in a downturn, right? Um, as long as it snaps back and we don't hit the attrition issue. Um, so I, on, the, on the exit side, the bankers all know it's going to be a slower exit environment for the next 12 months. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, on the on the investing side, growth side, I think it's going to be, by definition, it should be better. Um, you know, these businesses would need more growth capital now because they went through a downturn. Um, the ones that even were successful at it, in it might not like the exit values now, and they may want a growth round to take it out a year or two longer. So um, it ought to be a good growth investing. I, I, just, I don't think it'll, I think that, there's got to be fewer majority deals, whether it's full exits or majority recaps. Yep. Yep. Um, I believe that the entire team at Fulcrum has experience as, as an operator. Um, if that is the case, you know, talk to us a bit about how you and the rest of the team work with the portfolio companies that you invest in. Yeah. Well, first of all, when we're really, when we're in diligence, we're, you know, we're obviously doing all of our typical diligence on the company, but we're also trying to figure out the team and the founders of the business. So they people we want to partner with and they want true partners because I don't want to just go to board meetings. Right. I, I want to run. I don't want to run a company either. Um, so you don't want to. But you want to be you, you want to be involved. So our, our, our companies, I'm talking to my company, CEOs several times a week. You know, we're typically involved in things pretty involved in the business. Um, or, you know, at least every couple of weeks. Um, so we like to find those people that, that truly like to partner. You know, we do have a lot of operating experience and that just hopefully means we know more of what not to do. And we've had some successes, so we kind of know a few things to do. And, and we want to be able to, you know, share and, and, help, and, and, and help, those, help those guys succeed faster with that base of knowledge. Um, and then like everybody else, you know, we've got relationships and, yeah, you know, it's like this downturn now. When it was coming, I was like, it didn't, I don't want to say it didn't phase me, but unfortunately, it's the third time I've been through it. So it's like you kind of know exactly what to do and and um, and you're able to confidently guide your your partners through it and and, and know that, you know, and asking somebody to cut and cut is hard to do, but it's just like it's gonna be fine. You can always add back. You know, it's like a, it, it, you, you have a level of confidence when you've done things that I think helps in really, really tough times. And we're not ones to, I think we're not ones to freak out. Like things, things never go up into the right in a straight line. 
right? It's always a series of ups and downs. I'm a big believer in your highs are never as high as, high as you think they are and your lows are never as low as you think they are. And um, so we just try to live with, live like that. I think it, it comes through and we're talking to prospective companies we like. They can immediately tell by the questions we're asking and how we think about businesses that, um, you know, we're more than spreadsheet jockeys. So, you know, this is probably the wrong time to ask this question, but do you ever get the itch to uh, move back to the operating side? Or are you pretty comfortable, you know, at this stage uh, being an investor only? I do have those things. I have had a few of those moments where I go, that's a business I wish I'd been in front of when I had the, when I was running businesses. Um, but no, I, I really enjoy what I do. I think I, I, I finally labeled it's I have business um, uh, ADD. So, but by being able to work on a bunch of different things, it kind of solves that problem. And, um, and I, I enjoy the variety. The other thing, you learn a lot about, you know, I, I never thought I, I've learned a lot about healthcare services businesses. I never knew because I'd just never been around them. And, and believe it or not, some of those things help you think about your SaaS businesses. Um, and definitely the other way around. I mean, SaaS businesses are typically well metric or we get them there. Healthcare businesses haven't always been ours are now because we, we cross pollinate our healthcare and our SaaS teams and our CXO conferences and, the healthcare executives are standing back there and going, oh, wow, I don't have anything like that. How do I do that? Right. Um, so it, it's really, it's fun. That part's fun. Is, is there like a framework you use to kind of size up the, the healthcare services market and think about the different subsets and categories within that, that you want to specialize in or, or focus on? Yeah, so we're, and I'm not the healthcare person, so, um, but I'll, I can tell you generally, <laughs> Tom and Jeff do all that, but we're, we're typically looking at businesses that help lower costs and, and keep people, keep people from getting in the hospital or getting out earlier or lower cost in the hospital setting. Um, so we've been successful in home health and hospice on the, you know, that's on the getting outside. Um, we've been accept, helpful in, and, and, and then, Overarching on all that is multi-site healthcare. Um, so, uh, we uh, sadly we had a wildly successful addiction treatment business um, in Fund Two. Um, that's a just a huge issue, and there's good actors and bad actors. We happen to have a really good one. Um, and um, you know, truth be told, in Fund Three we had a bad actor, and we got in trouble in that business, and that business didn't do well. Um, so you got to be careful there. Uh, but multi-site healthcare, um, we've been in all sorts of outsourcing businesses from staffing to ER staffing to anesthesia staffing to billing, um, kind of everything around the healthcare ecosystem. But those are typically, we look at those businesses, like I described our SaaS as kind of three to 10 million ARR. Our, our uh, healthcare businesses would be EBITDA generating kind of a million on the low end to 10 on the high and their platforms for organic and acquisitive growth. So we're, we want to take a one to $10 million EBITDA healthcare business and grow it to, you know, 20 to 30 million in EBITDA. And we're trying to buy them at four, five or six times EBITDA. And when you get above 10, you're usually getting in the right markets, getting double digit EBITDA multiples. So we're getting, Return to our investors through growing EBITDA, through multiple expansion, 
Um, and, uh, and that's been, that's been good for us. You have to be careful in healthcare though, because the, you have to be really maniacal about understanding the pricing environment. Uh, cause anything in healthcare that has good pricing and good margins is just a target for CMS, which is Medicare, Medicare, which drives Medicare. Um, and, uh, so that we spend a lot of time on that to make sure we're being careful. At this point, if you're a VC, you've heard of Carta. You've probably even accepted securities from a portfolio company on the platform. It feels like every new company is using Carta, and there's already 16,000 VC-backed companies on the platform. They also offer tools and services for VCs like fund administration. Carta has an army of fund accountants delivering high-quality service and dedicated teams of engineers constantly improving the functionality of their user-friendly investor platform with in-app quarterly reporting, real-time fund metrics, LP portals, and more. It's also easy to switch from an existing fund administrator or to augment your in-house team with their service. Learn more about their services at carta.com forward slash investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. You've spoken a bit um, in our dialogue in the past just about the focus on talent. And I'm kind of curious, you know, when you're evaluating a startup for investment, um, do you have a different talent lens when it comes to maybe the healthcare companies you're looking at versus the SaaS companies? And just kind of in general, um, this is such a tough topic to kind of really put your finger on, but what is it that you're looking for in the talent and the leadership team that gets you really excited? You know, kind of, so people that are just passionate about and, and passionate and humble, right? They know their space, they're passionate about it. They're, they're and yet they're humble and they'll, they'll listen and they're, they're, you know, they're just, they're lifelong learners. They want to learn. Um, and I, I, that, that's what, that's what really creates a successful partnership. You know, we can't when you're and the passion to drive and, and succeed in a business is, you know, it's exhausting. It's like you to lead and, and the pace you need to lead to be successful is a, is a big job. And so you got to, you want to back people like that and have a true understanding of their space and their craft, however they got there, whether they grew up in it or they learned it, or I don't care, but you want to make sure that they, you believe they've got it. And then, you know, they're, they're humble enough to say, I don't know everything. And I, and I want to build a team that's better than me to manage me. And I want to listen to my investors or whoever else I can bring to the table to help me succeed. Um, I know that's a long-winded way of answering your question, but that's that's kind of what we look for with people. And it, it's uniform across the the different types of businesses, or are there specific things in you know the healthcare C, CEOs that you look for that might be different than maybe the technology SaaS CEO? Well, the health healthcare in general is a lower margin business. So you definitely need a, a, a one, one or the team needs really strong financial um, guidance because you you know some of those businesses are 
30, 35% gross margin. So you got to rub some nickels and make sure you, you, you have a really good operate. And they take more, they're bigger scale businesses. So they take a, a larger operating scale. We, do, we also do some in logistics, uh, which is similar. Like we have a last mile delivery business out of Austin, Texas called Drop Off. It's actually more similar to our healthcare businesses from what you need, the kind of management of it you need. Um, whereas the SaaS businesses, you know, they're high margins. So there's only, it's just headcount, right? For the most part, it's not. It, Zero it's not, marginal cost. Yeah, it's not as hard to, in the systems, even though you want them to have good systems, the systems are much more, you know, uh, important to get straight early on in the healthcare business and, and in the, and the software businesses, even though we want we want to have good ones. Yeah, so you, mean- you can afford to be less math oriented, I guess, in a in a, in a CEO and a SaaS business, and you know, operating than than you can in some of the healthcare businesses. Right, right. Yeah, you had mentioned earlier in the interview that you're enjoying, you know, the Zoom chats. Um, I'm seeing sort of kind of a a variety of reactions to this. You know, like these these. CEOs and founders that are adapting to remote culture. Uh, for some, it's great. For others, you know, it's been a challenge for the entire team. Um, have you seen any specific actions that your CEOs are taking that sort of encourage, you know, positive operating culture and um, specific things that leaders are, are doing in this, you know, distributed work environment that's been thrust upon us? Yeah, I just think you can't take it for granted. You know, people like to engage and they like to be part of a team and they want to be, you know, feel camaraderie. So um, even we even started a daily stand up to just kick the day off. It's just, I think it, and we, we actually just started it today. Um, and it was just, it's just amazing how it just makes you feel different when you're getting going, kind of going, okay, what are we working on today? A few things we needed to talk about across us. We're, we're a group where we meet once a week historically and then go do our own thing, right? Office is half full half the time, if that, because people are out and about. Um, so our our companies are doing daily stand-ups. They're doing, you know, fitness, <laughs> online fitness together. They're doing, I'm, I'm doing online fitness with my wife now, which is awesome. It's like, so you can do it. At, I see it, a Peloton behind you. <laughs> well, yeah. No, but she was doing some training with her friends. I was like, sure, I'll do that with you. And um but it, and I immediately my CEO of my business and uh, drop off was telling me they're doing it uh, online fitness for their teams, and I was like, I can see how easy that would be to do, right? It's just another Zoom. It just happens to have a mat and some weights, um, and um, so I think you have to be forthright and, and 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 proactive about doing those kind of things. Cocktail parties at the end of the day. Just make it fun. You know, people want to have fun and they want to be engaged. And, then, and and I think you can get the exact productivity. But if you don't, you know, engage, then I think you're you're just waiting for productivity to fall. Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here with a, a question called three data points inspired by uh, Taylor Holiday. Um, but I'm gonna give you a hypothetical, not a real situation. Um, but Aside from COVID, let's put that aside for a second. Let's say you're approached by a B2B SaaS company that's currently doing 5 million of ARR. They have a 5 to 1 LTV to CAC ratio. And let's say month over month growth is trending at 10%. Um, The catch is you can only ask for three data points to make your decision. 
what three questions and what three data points do you ask for? Yeah. So the first one is kind of product and use case, because I, I clearly I want to understand the product and, and how it's used, right? So when I when I can walk through a use case, I get I'm, I, you're, you're immediately grounded on, on the why, right? Why is this worth doing? Um, the the second one is, and maybe I'm combining two things here, so I'm just you can accuse me of cheating. No cheating, uh, Jim. <laughs> pricing and TAM. So for that use case, I understand what they're buying it for, what the use case is. Now, what are they willing to pay for it, and what's that TAM? So I get so I can put those two together. And then the final one, because you had everything else in there and want to know is, I don't care how much they're growing, but I don't care. Okay. What's, what's the retention? What's the retention? Because retention drives valuation so much in our space that you can't not know that, right? You, you gave me the, the 8% growth on a 5 million recurring revenue and the CAC's really good. So that's clearly the, 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 the retention one was the was the other one. Would you, would you rather see retention for a recent cohort that's kind of, you know, hit the right time marker? Um, or would you rather see net retention, you know, since the beginning? Um, net since the beginning. If you net. gave me one, just net. Because, you know, we invest in SMB businesses that have 25% growth churn and and that's a little low. I, and even enterprise. I've got an enterprise business that's 85%, 15% gross, but it's probably 110, 120 net, right? I mean, that's what usually net can only, if net's good, gross can only be so bad. Right. <laughs> right. I guess that's what I'm trying to get to. Once you've, if you looked at a bunch of these, if nets, if you're impressed by net, you're not going to be disappointed by gross. Right, right. So, and then on, on the pricing point, let's assume TAM is sufficiently large, right? On the pricing point, does it matter if it's, I don't know, 50 bucks per seat and there's just, you know, huge, huge volume of seats across customers or if it's, you know, Five, ten, twenty thousand bucks a seat, and there's fewer customers. Does that matter? Probably not to me. I mean, if it's seat based, you give me the seat case, and that just tells me it's it's a good land and expand, right? I yeah. can start with a few seats and expand it. And I we actually I actually like those. <laughs> I, I one of the things I've been burned by is you know businesses growing too fast selling more. It sounds like a high class problem, but, um, you know, out kicking their coverage on selling bigger deals than they can actually show value for. Sure. And, and this whole time to value thing, once you've been smacked in the face by that one time, it only takes one time, right? Yeah. Cause your, your retention falls off overnight when you outkicked your coverage, you have churn issues you can't imagine. So, and it takes a while to solve it. Um, so I'm actually a big believer in the, I land with small deals and been making sure you have opportunity to expand how that looks. So yeah, we definitely study the heck out of that. Is that is customer success? Is that a, a part of like your diligence process and something you're interested in kind of hearing the the process, the approach, the the mindset on behalf it of is, the leadership team? It's, it's as important as sales ops. Wow. Fact, 
in, in art, in, in ours, I actually, cause I'm just trying to, I'm corny like this sometimes. Like, I don't want to, let's, let's, let's talk about customer success before we talk about sales in our board meetings. Wow. Just to make it a priority. You know, it's just, it's that important. And, and to have a system for it, because I've seen, because now you have systems for it, right? Like, I mean, Gainsight and there's one of them that came out and then you've had, um, oh, some of the new entrants, uh, there's some others in that, I don't know, I'll slip in my mind. There's, there's plenty of platforms in that space. Now you can buy platforms. And then yep. if you'll run these, take those platforms and run kind of embedded marketing cases inside your app to drive adoption and education of how to use the app, I mean, yeah. you see, you, you can just see their improvement in retention. So I'm, now we're, we're maniacal about that. It's because we've seen the success of it, especially in the SMB world. Um, when, when customer success systems first came out, it was just a bunch of Excel spreadsheet measuring stats and making people happy with stats. Now, customer success systems are like marketing automation systems inside your application to get your user to learn how to use it because if they use it, they'll keep it. It goes back to your point about retention and engagement, right? Customer success yeah. is great. Then, I mean, I, I feel like I, I just saw one of those marketing emails from Zendesk today on behalf of, you know, one of the customers that I, or one of the products that I'm a customer of. And um, it just really helps to uh, keep that engagement up and keep the value going both ways, right? More value accrues to me than more value accrues to the company that I'm buying products from. Yeah, we, I believe in it so much. We've looked at every one of them and tried to invest in one. I thought I was going to get, and we got outbid for it, but it's, it's a good space. Love it. Love it. Uh, Jim, are there any resources, books, blogs, videos, articles that you found really valuable that you'd recommend to listeners? I mean, I read a lot of stuff that I get emailed and things and that. I think some of these sites that just have a lot on it, and they're all the ones people already know, so this isn't going to rock your world. But yeah, I think Saster is a, has a lot of great content. Yep. When, I'm, when I want some information on a subject, that's a place I'll go. Serious Decisions has a lot of great content. You know, there's a lot of individuals that do great, um, great with blogs. But I think that when I'm thinking about something, I want to find something. I think about those resources that have a lot of different, um, a lot of different content on them. That's great. Uh, Jim, what do you know you need to get better at? You know, I'm going to go back to the one we were talking about earlier. Just, you know, go with your gut and, and, and move quicker. Um, just always work on um, how I could have seen that and acted quicker. Um, and, and I, you know, I do that with my portfolio companies. We'll make a decision and finally to, you know, we had this example, our last mile delivery business, we finally pulled out of California. And, and, and when we were looking at the decision, I'm like, all these places we can be, we can deliver and make good margin. Why would we sit here in this regulation nightmare and keep doing this? <laughs> Stop. And then I look at it and look at what we did and how much improvement. I was like, well, why did it take us a year to do that? Well, we had a few customers that they really wanted us in California. Well, God, then pay for it, right? It's just like, um, I, I, I that'd be my, this, it, that's another one where I just look at it and go, you knew it and you let it sit there for longer than you should have. So I'm using that as an example, but it's make decisions. Just keep making decisions faster. You can always reverse your decision. 
And Jim, what's the best way for listeners to follow along with you and connect with you? Yeah. So, so my email, anybody wants to email me is uh, on our website. So go to our website and get it. There's JD at fulcrum ep.com. And, um, you know, we're always happy to listen to opportunities and, and meet new people and, and around the, the investing ecosystem. So, um, track us down. Well, very good. Jim, we have a lot of similar co-investors, but we haven't found one yet. I'm going to make it my personal goal to uh, get on a cap table here with you in the, in the near future. Let's do it. All right. Well, thanks so much for spending the time. This was a real pleasure. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. That will wrap up today's episode. Thanks for joining us here on the show. And if you'd like to get involved further, you can join our investment group for free on AngelList. Head over to angel.co and search for New Stack Ventures. There you can back the syndicate to see our deal flow, see how we choose startups to invest in, and read our thesis on investment in each startup we choose. As always, show notes and links for the interview are at fullratchet.net. And until next time, remember to overprepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.